We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Hear the word of God from Galatians chapter 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified us, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let's take just a moment to pray together. Father, we have sung to you, we have prayed to you, and now we ask that we might hear from you. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you that you see every single one of us in this room. You know us better than we know ourselves. And we are not here by accident. But we are here because you are kind and you are good and you are pursuing us. And you desire to speak to us, to speak into our lives in such a way that we would be changed, that we would know more freedom and fullness, and hope, and joy. And so would you give us ears to hear all the good things that you have to say to us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Brent, and uh, I'm one of the other pastors here. And if I haven't met you yet, we'd love to get to meet you at our newcomer lunch after the service. This morning, uh, we are beginning a new sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And verse 22 of this passage says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the nine marks, the nine qualities that God wants to build into your life and into my life. And so what we're going to be doing, I'm very excited about this series, is over the next nine weeks, we're going to be taking each one of these fruits and looking at each one of them 
every single week, what does the Bible have to say about it, and how can we actually see more of it in our own life? And I think there's really two reasons this series is important. And the first is this, is that we need it. You need it. I definitely need it. Let me tell you, there is, I was on my way to church this morning. There is this terrible pothole on 17th, right when you get off the highway. Raise your hand if you've hit it. Um, Yeah, all right. Let me just tell you, something came out of my mouth that I'm pretty sure does not fall under the umbrella of any of the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Uh, You need it. I need it. We all need it. You know, if I were to ask you, what is the life that God most desires for you? I wonder how you would answer that question. I, I think some of us would say the life that God most desires for me is an obedient life or a moral life a holy life, maybe a happy life. The fruit of the Spirit teaches us that the life God most desires for you is a beautiful life, a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that is why we are calling this series The Beautiful Life. We need it. Uh, Here's the second reason this series is important, is that our city needs it. Our city needs it. The great African-American poet Langston Hughes, he once wrote a poem entitled, Tired. And he said, I am so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rhyme. We all want a world of goodness and beauty. A world that is filled with people who live lives of love and patience and gentleness and kindness. But the problem is that nobody seems to know how to make people like that. Think about our current political and social movements. They desire all sorts of good in the world. And they are very good at pointing out how the other side is wrong. (laughs) What they're not good at is creating people who are more generous and more gracious, and more loving. And that's why our current cultural moment is not marked by the fruit of the Spirit, but it is marked by cynicism and outrage and hostility. The fruit of the Spirit, friends, it is the world that we, it is not the world that we have, but it is the world that we all want. And that's why our city needs this, it's why we need it, it's why we're going to be looking at it over the next Nine weeks. So next week, we're going to take the first fruit, which is love. But this week, I want to just do kind of an introduction to the whole series. Uh, This passage teaches us three things about the beautiful life, and we actually see it in three metaphors that show up in this passage. We get a battle, we get a tree, and we get a dance. The beautiful life is like a battle. That's verses 16 through 21. The beautiful life is like a tree, that's verses 22 through 24, and the beautiful life is like a dance, that's verse 25. Here we go. The beautiful life is a battle. Uh, This passage, it is filled with all sorts of language of opposition and struggle. I want to read verses 16 through 17 for you again, and this time I want you to pay attention to the words contrary and conflict. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict 
with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul says the flesh and the spirit are in conflict with one another. There's this battle that's taking place. Now, when Paul talks about the flesh or he talks about the desires of the flesh, he is not talking about our physical bodies. The flesh is Paul's shorthand way of talking about our fallen, sinful, human nature. It is Paul's way of saying our nature is in direct opposition to God's nature. What is God's nature? What comes naturally for God? The fruit of the Spirit. What is our nature? What comes naturally for us? Well, Paul gives us a long list of things in verses 19 through 21. And maybe you read witchcraft and you're like, okay, I'm safe, but how about jealousy? Or maybe not, I don't know, maybe not. But how about jealousy? How about anger? How about selfish ambition? How about envy? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands this morning, but how many of us would say, that we feel naturally good at loving difficult people? How many of us would say that we feel naturally patient when life does not go the way that we want it to? How many of us would say that we feel naturally kind towards people who hurt us? We are not naturally good at any of these things. If you want to know what we are naturally good at, hang out with two-year-olds, okay? (laughs) Have you ever seen a two-year-old that, is natu- that has self-control. Please introduce me to them. I would love to meet them. Would have loved to have known them when I was, had two-year-olds. Uh, have you ever seen a two-year-old who's naturally patient? No, we're not naturally good at th- I mean, Let me tell you, go up to our preschool room. It's a war zone up there right now, okay? Some of you, you the reason you come to church is because there's free childcare. I know this. I'm aware of this. Yeah, it's nap time, right? We are not naturally good at these things. Friends, we come out of the womb, like, you remember that scene in Finding Nemo, the seagulls? Mine, 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 mine. That is what we are naturally good at. No one taught us selfishness. No, it's a talent we are all born with. You see, the, 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 the beautiful life is not our nature. And here is the point. Here is the point. The point is that you have to fight for the beautiful life. It doesn't just happen. Becoming a person of love and of peace and of gentleness, it requires effort and intentionality. You have to fight for it. And we're going to get to that actually in the last point of how we can fight for it. But before we get to that, Before we move on to uh, point two, I just want to offer a very quick word of warning and a quick word of encouragement, okay? Quick word of warning is in verse 18. Paul says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, remember he just gave this long list of the desires of the flesh, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's a scary verse when you read it, and uh, pastors never do you favors when they skip over scary verses, So let's not skip over this. Paul is not saying that a Christian will not have moments of selfishness or envy or jealousy. If Paul was saying this, we would all be out of luck. 
okay? That is not what Paul is saying. What Paul is talking about in this list of things is he's talking about the general pattern of your life. Let me give you a test this morning. How do you respond when you see these things in your life? How do you respond when you see jealousy in your life? How do you respond when you see selfish ambition in your life? How do you respond when you see envy in your life? Do you fight against these things? Is there a battle? Do you say, I need to grow and I need to change? Or do you just dismiss these things? Do you not ever care? See, if there's no fight in your life, this is what Paul is saying, if there's no fight in your life, then that might mean that there's no Holy Spirit in your life. And if that's a word of warning to you this morning, let it be a word of invitation of God inviting you to open yourself to him. That's the word of warning. Here's the word of encouragement. Some of you are like, yeah, I like the encouragement words much better. The word of encouragement is this. Some of you are feeling so discouraged this morning. You're wondering, why are you not changing more? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought, why am I not changing more? Why do I keep struggling with the same things over and over and over again? What is wrong with me? Am I not a Christian? Am I not in Christ? No, it's not that you are in Christ. It's that you are in a fight. You're in a fight. When you become a Christian, sin no longer reigns over you. It no longer reigns over you. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid it all. You are a new creation. Sin no longer reigns over you, but it does remain in you. And so you have these two natures at work within you. The flesh and the spirit. The things that come natural to us and the things that come natural to God. And every day you wake up and you feel that conflict. J.C. Ryle, who was a pastor in the 19th century, he said, a Christian is known not only by their inner peace, meaning when you become a Christian, you have peace with God and you know the peace of God. He says, a Christian is known not only by their inner peace, but by their inner warfare. You feel the conflict. You feel the fight. A beautiful life, that's what the beautiful life is. It is a, it is a battle. Uh, but here's the second thing. It's like a tree. A beautiful life is like a tree. So in verses 22 through 23, Paul gives us this image of a tree that has all of these different kinds of fruit on it. It's one tree with lots of different kinds of fruit, nine of them, and I want to go through them very briefly. He's, first is love. The Greek word here is agape. It's talking about sacrificial, unconditional love. And then joy. What is joy? Joy, that is not just kind of this happiness that's based on your circumstances, we could, which could change by the time church is over. But it is this deep, lasting contentment in life and in God. Peace. What is peace? That means there's a tranquility about your life. You are not riddled with worry and anxiety. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I told you this is the life we all desire. Your life isn't riddled with worry and anxiety, but your heart is at rest. Patience, what is patience? That's the ability to be hurt or to be wronged without becoming bitter. Kindness, that's talking about acts of compassion and mercy, which we heard a lot about with Foster the City this morning. What an incredible opportunity to show compassion and mercy. 
Goodness. What is goodness? That is a life that seeks the good of others and the good of the city. Faithfulness, that's talking about courage and commitment. Gentleness, that means there's a humility about you. You're not harsh with people. You're not overbearing. Self-control. What is self-control? This is kind of our least, this, this is like the least favorite one, but I can't wait to get to this week of self-control. Dave is going to preach a great sermon on self-control when we get to that. Um, what is self-control? Self-control is you recognize that every desire you have is not a good one. And so when your desires conflict with God's desires, God wins. That's self-control. And so here's the image. The image is that your life and my life is meant to look like this tree, and here is the reason that is the case. The reason that is the case is because this tree points us to something else, and it actually points us to someone else. This tree is a description of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is a description of Jesus. God's main ambition for your life, his main goal for your life, is that you would become more like Jesus. Christianity, please hear this, Christianity is not just praying a prayer and being forgiven of your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. That is just the beginning. No, you see, God wants to make you more like Jesus, the Christian gospel says, friends, that God loves you just as you are. You do nothing to merit God's love. God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. He wants to form you into the image of Jesus. He wants to see you follow in the footsteps of his son, and he wants to see the character of Christ formed in you. What God wants for your life more than anything else is Christ likeness. That's what God wants for you. Let me just give you three verses on this. Romans 8, 28 says that before, before the creation of the world, that means before any of this was other here, and the only thing here was God, before the creation of the world, it says that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. 2 Corinthians 3 says that right now, because the Holy Spirit is in us, he is making us more like Jesus. 1 John chapter 3 says that when Jesus returns, we will be like him. Do you hear the past, present nature of these verses? Let me just summarize this for you. This is saying that the Bible says God's purpose from before the creation of the world and now in our lifetime, and for all of eternity when Christ returns, is that we would be like Jesus. It is hard to get more clear than that. Christ-likeness is what God wants for us more than anything else. I want to give us just a couple implications of this, and here's the first. Christ-likeness takes time. Uh, there's a reason the Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever stood next to an apple tree or next to a lemon tree and watched something grow? Of course you haven't because you can't see it. It takes a very, very long time. It looks like nothing is happening. 
Growth is invisible to the naked eye, and the same is true for the Christian. It takes time. Friends, change does not happen typically over days and weeks and months. It it happens actually over years and decades. There's actually one thing that can fast track growth in your life, and it's suffering. But none of us would choose that. And you see, the kind of change that God wants to produce in you doesn't happen overnight. It is gradual, and it is slow, and it takes a lifetime. I remember years ago when I was doing college ministry, I had to do a lot of fundraising, and I was meeting with a donor in the southeast, a man named Daryl Kelly. He was about 80 years old at the time. He's with Jesus now. Uh, he'd been a, he, his, his body had been ravaged by Parkinson's. Um, he'd been a Christian for about six decades. He'd become a Christian in his 20s. And I'll never forget, we got to the end of our time, and he said, could I pray for us? And this was his prayer. He said, Jesus, would you make us more like you? Would you help us to be more humble? Would you help us to be more patient? Would you help us to be more kind? That is amazing. I mean, he had been walking with Jesus for six decades, and he is still asking God to change him. And so, Christian, don't grow discouraged. It may look like nothing is happening, but it is. Growth takes time. Here's the second implication of Christ-likeness. It's not just that it takes time, but it is key to our witness in this city. It is key to our witness in the city. I think one of the reasons that Christianity is so, let's just be honest, it's, 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 it's looked down on, it's, it's even despised in the Bay Area. I think one of the reasons is because Christians are not embodying the fruit of the Spirit. And if we did, it would change everything. You know, think about Jesus. People flocked to him. Why do you think when you read the Gospels, People kept flocking to Jesus. You you see this over and over again. I mean, he's like having to escape in boats because there's so many people around him. He's constantly having to like sneak away early, early in the morning while the disciples are still sleeping because the crowds are are after him and he has no time to be alone with the Father. People flocked to Jesus. Why did they flock to Jesus? It's not just because he was a miracle worker. It's because they'd never seen anybody like him. They'd never seen somebody with that kind of joy, that kind of love, that kind of kindness. And so they were drawn to him, and to the extent that we actually embody the fruit of the Spirit, people will be drawn to him through us. I remember a couple years ago, it was actually one Sunday after our service, and somebody came up to me, they were a first-time visitor, and they said, uh, they said, I'm not religious. Um, this is my first time here, but my friend goes to this church, and, and they're a Christian. And the reason I'm here today is because I've seen something different in their life, and I want it. This is how God works. At Leslie Newbigin, who was a, 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 missio- a famous missionary, he said, how is it possible that the gospel should be credible That people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. 
I am suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and who live by it. Christ-likeness is vital to our witness in the city. It's what God wants for our life more than anything else. And this brings us to the last point, uh, which is the beautiful life is not just like a tree, it's not just a battle, but it's, it's like a dance. And this kind of is going to help us understand a little bit more of how, how do we actually fight for the beautiful life? How do we actually move towards it? How do we cultivate it? Um, verse 25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I love that language of keeping in step with the Spirit. Um, I, in my head, I'm a really good dancer, okay? In my head. Uh, it may surprise you actually to learn that I won the dance contest at church camp in sixth grade. Yep. That's right. Applaud for that. Yep. Yep. And here's a video. I'm just kidding. Um, those were my uh, vanilla ice MC Hammer days. And Heavy D and the boys for the, oh yeah, anyway, all right, so, um, so basically I'm an amazing dancer is the point that I'm trying to get at, and uh, actually I'm not, but one thing I do know about dancing is that when you dance with someone, you have to keep in step. There's got to be a symmetry. You move together. They move, and you move. And the same is true when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. We move and God moves. We act and God acts. We do something and God does something. Philippians chapter 2, 12 says it this way, work out your salvation. Work it out. That's not the same as earn it. It's saying you've got it. Now work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means awe and wonder. Listen to this. Work it out, for it is God who works in you. See, we work and God works. It's both. Now, for, let's talk about what we do. Let's talk about our part. And I want to go back to the image of a tree. How does a tree grow? A tree grows by sinking its roots into the soil. How do we see the fruit of the Spirit cultivated in our life? We sink our roots into the soils that God has given us that enable us to grow. And I'll give you four of them. Here's the first. Scripture. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, that's talking about the Bible, and who meditates on it day and night, Listen to this. That person is like a tree hmm, planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. You've got to be spending time in God's word. Some of us, we need to slow down. Our greatest problem in life is that we do not have margins. And we've got to slow down. You've got to spend time in God's word. And guess what? Half the time, maybe more than half, it won't feel like anything is happening. But you've got to do it. You can't grow as a Christian apart from it. If you don't have a Bible, we've got free ones in the back. We'd love for you to take one. Scripture. Here's the second soil. Prayer. John Stott, who is a, he was a kind of famous Christian pastor and author, he prayed the same prayer every single morning. 
This was the prayer that he prayed every single morning. He prayed, Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Prayer. Let me ask you a question. If God answered every prayer that you prayed this last week, would you be a different person? Would there be more humility, more gentleness, more kindness, more joy in your life? Would you be a different person or would you just have different circumstances? This is convicting for me because as I think about the things that I ask God for, it tends to be like my laundry list of needs, which God cares about. But God doesn't want us to just ask him for things. He wants us to ask him to change us. Prayer. Here's the third soil. Community. Community. You cannot grow alone. You need other people to grow. You know, the reality is most of the time we don't even really see ourselves that clearly. Other people see us more clearly than we see ourselves. We need their help to actually see and to know the areas where we really do need to change and really do need to grow. So here's, here's a very practical application for you this week. Go find two people in your life, two people that you're close to, a friend, a roommate, a spouse, someone in your community group, and ask them how they experience you. Ask them where they see the fruit of the Spirit in your life and celebrate it together and give thanks to God for it. And ask them which fruits you actually most need to grow in. We need community, we need prayer, we need scripture. Here's the last one, worship. And I don't just mean individually, but I mean corporately, what we are doing right now. D.L. Moody was once asked uh, if he was filled with the Spirit, and he said, yes, but I leak. (laughs) And we all leak. And you see, worship... is not just meant to be busy work for you, friend. It is meant to be a time where we get a fresh filling of God's spirit, because we are all leaking. And so God invites us into this room to remind us of his grace and of his love. And we come to his word together and then we come to this table together And we fellowship together and is where God fills us. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? We've got to be sinking our roots into these four soils. And I want you to notice that Jesus did the same. Jesus actually modeled all of this for us. Jesus was constantly quoting Scripture, which means he was constantly reading it. He was constantly escaping to pray. He was constantly gathering community around him. And he was constantly going to the temple to worship. If Jesus needed these things, how much more do we? So that's what we do. But what does God do? What does God do? You see, the reason, listen to this. Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. 
It's of the Spirit because God is the one who produces this change in us. Yes, we fight. Yes, we are active in the process, but we are not the primary actor. God is the one who fights for us. God is the one who cultivates the fruit in us. We work, but the reason we are enabled to work is because God is working in us. Let me give you an illustration of this, and we'll be done. Uh, This is actually from a friend of mine. His name is Rick, and he tells this story about the first time that he ever bought his mom a present. He said, I was in the fourth grade, the youngest of the family, and I was tired of just drawing pictures for my mom while the rest of my siblings bought her gifts. However, there were a few things getting in the way of actually buying her something nice. I didn't have money. I didn't have any way to go to a store on my own. I didn't actually know what she wanted, and I didn't know how to wrap a Christmas present. Not knowing how to get around all these obstacles, I resorted to moping and sulking around the house. My mother noticed and asked if something was wrong, and I told her about not being able to buy Christmas presents for people, and she nodded, filing away that information for later. That week, she looked out the window and said, look at all these sticks in the yard. I sure wish somebody would move them. I'd pay $10 for somebody to move these sticks. I hurried outside, collected all the sticks, which is my responsibility, Anyway, as part, which was my responsibility as part of my weekly chores, but just this once, my mother paid me for it, and after the yard was clean and I was thanked and given $10, she said, I'm going to the store to do a little shopping. Would you like to come? On the way there, she mentioned she'd seen some necklaces and that she wished she could have one. The necklaces were $9. <laughs> I picked one out and brought it up to the counter, paid for it, and put it in a bag, And as soon as we got home, I raced back into my bedroom and started wrapping. The only box I could find was huge, and I tore through an entire roll of wrapping paper. No matter which way I cut, it did not fit. That is my life every Christmas. I started crying. God has not grown me in the area of wrapping. He says, I started crying and brought the box out to my mother. She wrapped it for me, making it look easy, and I placed it under the tree. Christmas finally came. I went to the Christmas tree to retrieve the present that my mother had paid for, picked out, drove me to get, and wrapped. My mother unwrapped the box she had wrapped, clasped the necklace around her neck, and hugged me in what felt like the biggest hug in the history of hugs. And she said, I love it. Thank you so much. It is just what I wanted. This is a picture of us and God. At the end of our lives, we will stand before God totally transformed. And it is going to be a hug like you have never experienced. An embrace like you have always longed to know, but never known. And you are going to know God's love And delight, it will be unlike anything that you have ever tasted as God looks at you, made into the person you were created to be. And yet, here's the deal, the reality is, it is all made possible because he is the one who does it. Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God started the work. God is doing the work. God will finish the work. 
And that means that there is hope for every single person in this room. No one is too broken for God. No one is too messy for God. There is no one that cannot be loved by God and there is no one that cannot be changed by God. And if you want more of this fruit in your life, God offers it to you. And it actually all starts right here at this table. You know, this table points us to Jesus, the one who perfectly displayed the fruit of the Spirit. But it actually points us to something even better than that. It points us to the way that Jesus displayed the fruit of the Spirit in relation to us. See, it is one thing to see Jesus living the fruit of the Spirit, but it is another thing to see him living it in the way that he relates to you. You know what we find at this table? The love of Jesus for people like us. A love that is so radical and so sacrificial and so great that he gave himself up for us. And we find his joy. Friends, God does not welcome you to this table as a second-class citizen. He does not welcome you begrudgingly. He does not even just welcome you as his servant. He welcomes us as his loved sons and daughters. This table points to his joy over us. And it tells us of his peace, that we can have peace with God. We are reconciled to God and we are perfect in his sight, all because of what Jesus has done for us. And we can actually now have not just peace with God, but you can know the peace of God, a peace that transcends all of our circumstances. This table is where we experience his patience. Do you know how patient God is with you? That week after week and Sunday after Sunday, it doesn't matter what your life looked like this week. It doesn't doesn't matter how badly you blew it. It doesn't matter how little you actually sunk your your roots into those four soils that we were talking about. But week after week, God invites you back to this table. What patience, what kindness, what goodness, what faithfulness. You know, Jesus says, you will be unfaithful to me every day, and I will always be faithful to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. It's where we experience his gentleness. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Are you weary and burdened this morning? Jesus says, come to me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And how about self-control? You know, Jesus did not have to go to the cross which is what this table points us to. Jesus did not have to go to the cross. In fact, he asked the Father if there was any other way, and yet he went. You know why he went? Not because it was good for him, but because it was good for us. And that means that now his presence can come into your life, and you can know his love, and you can begin to experience the beautiful life that God has created you for, and you can fight And you can grow and you can be changed because God started the work, because God is doing the work, 
and because God will finish the work. Hallelujah. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the hope that is found at this table. The hope that says you are a God who can work in anyone's life. You can love anyone. You can receive anyone. You can welcome anyone. And you can change anyone. Would you help us to come today believing and trusting in this? Not in our own strength, but in yours. Not in our own power, but in yours. Not in our own wisdom, but in yours. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.